It's my joy this morning to be back. I missed you people. I really did. And uh, we're just pleased to be able to be here this morning and uh, to have the health and the strength to be able to, to come and worship the Lord this morning and, uh, and honor him. As we look back in history, it's a great day. Uh, the celebration of Palm Sunday uh, does have special meaning for all of us. I don't know what it means for you this morning, but you know, for many people it has different kinds of meanings, and we want to look at that a little bit this morning, find out really what it, what it all means this morning. Uh, it was that triumphal entry, you know, it was just, he'd been teaching for three years, and uh, he'd been talking about the kingdom, and he talked about the good news of the kingdom, and he trained these people to be disciples, that they would be able to carry on this task, and uh, he'd been healing the sick, and he had healed Lazarus, and, and uh, he was marching up to Jerusalem. To, for this great celebration of the Passover. It was a big deal for the, for the Jewish people. And they were gathering in Jerusalem by, by the hundreds, maybe by the thousands. It says it was a multitude of people that gathered that day. Uh, and I asked, I asked the question, what, is, what does it mean to all these people? And uh, you can go to the next slide. I have a lot of them this morning, so I'll communicate with him because he doesn't know when I want them and when and neither do I sometimes so we'll see how how it all runs this morning but Palm Sunday has been celebrated through history all all through history you know and all different countries and I, we'll show you a little bit you can just take a brief look at them this morning maybe you can find the country that uh, these were celebrated at but uh Everywhere, people, and I remember when I was a child, you know, we used to have palm branches and we'd come down the service and it was a celebration that we did. I was wondering where the palms were this morning, but <laughs> they don't last very long, so we didn't, uh, didn't have them here today. But anyway, Palm Sunday is, is a great day and, and I really wonder what most of those people that followed Jesus, because in Jerusalem, they were gathering, see, and Jesus had just healed Lazarus, and he had given sight to the blind. And these people were all excited, you know, and they were joining him because Jesus was headed to Jerusalem. And as he went with his big crowd that was with him, in Jerusalem, where the Passover was going to be, people begin to say, he, is he going to come? Is he really going to come? And then they say, ah, he is coming. And they were all excited about that. And I want to read the text this morning. And I kind of combine two passages out of John 12 and Mark 11. And these is what I'd like to share. The next day, the great cloud, or crowd that had come for the festival heard Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him. And those who went before and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king Blessed is the coming kingdom. And the whole multitude of disciples begin to praise and honor and rejoice. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, 
continued to spread the word. Uh, I can imagine. Can you imagine how the word got out? Uh, it, it was pretty dynamic. Many people, because of what they had heard and they had performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is not good. This is getting out of control. And I'm adding here, but this is a little what it says. Look how the whole world is going after him. And they were pretty concerned about that and really worried about that. So I asked the next question, uh, who were these people? And uh, I said, okay, who... And, and I started to try to look at these people. I said, who are these people? And, and I realized that they're much like you and I. And, and I, I said, first of all, there were the pagans that were there. You know, uh, they didn't, they had ignored the truth and they were kind of ignorant of the truth. They really didn't know. And they were the ones that were asking, what's going on? What's, what's all this about, you know? And they, they really didn't have a clue what was going on. And I think we have people today that are that way. They don't really have a clue what's going on. And then you have the non-believers. They're the ones that had heard Jesus, but they rejected what he said. They said, no, we don't, we don't really want this. This doesn't fit into our, our, our thoughts or what we want. And then you have all of the religious people, you know. Uh, it, I think it covered a great multitude of people, religious people, uh, we, and they acknowledged the truth. They said, yeah, he, what he's preaching is, it's got to be true because look what he's doing, you know, and yet the Pharisees, they didn't like it because it, it didn't fit into exactly what their theology was. And so they were giving some great doubts about the whole thing. And then you, then you have the Christians who, you know, they, they were... They the ones who had believed. They said, this is good, what Jesus is teaching. Now, you've got to remember, this is all before the crucifixion, the cross, and before his resurrection. So you have to look at it from that perspective this morning, because next Gary, week, Gary's going to deal with that part of it. So all I'm doing is bringing us up to the cross this morning, and I want us to get an idea what Jesus was trying to tell these people and what these people should have really known if they would have listened carefully. So, and then you have the last people, and I said the Christians, they, they believe the truth. It may not have made a big impact in their life, but it did on some people, and they were his disciples. And so immediately you see I've classified a group of people who we see even in our generation, maybe in our church this morning, we have disciples who obey, we have believers, you know, who, who have come to Christians who really believe that this is good. And then we have, have the rest of, uh, of those that are, are there this morning. Now, I think in some ways they had a greater advantage. And I think the greater advantage was, you're going to just have to keep up with me, okay? That's right. Just take your guess when you need anything. I think they had a greater advantage because they had the real person of Jesus, you know? And they saw him, and they listened to him, and they watched every action that was going on, and... Uh, I said they, had, they, had, they were in touch with the real personality of who he was, real-life issues he was dealing with. And I said, today most of us, uh, we don't see the relevance of Jesus in that quite as much as maybe they did. He's so far removed from us. You know, uh, Who is this Jesus? I think a lot of us are, are really asking today. But in the spiritual, uh, scriptural narrative, the people had to deal with his real presence. And sometimes we struggle with his real presence and the truth that he really taught. And uh, he gave real answers, I said, to real life issues. Life issues. And today, uh, 
most of us had a hard time dealing with his presence. We walk through life, but I don't know how present he is with us all the time. And we want to talk a little bit about that this morning. The celebration of Palm Sunday. What did these people actually believe? And I think in our culture today, um, we're programmed to confess and profess things. You know, um, that's the way we are. And I said this kind of makes a misunderstanding that human life is really not governed by what we believe. Now, Jesus echoed that thought when he said, why call you me Lord, and yet you don't do what I say? They believed that he was Lord. They recognized he was Lord. They identified him as Lord. But obedience was not a part of their life, he said. And, and I think that's very easy. We were, I had the, we, Joe and I had the privilege of going to a lot of churches when we were gone, you know, and it was really kind of interesting and fun, and I learned a lot, you know, and you listen to much, and you criticize some, and that's the way life is. But, but you know, you, you look at it all, but I, we learned much. And in one church um, we went to, they, they gave the creed every single Sunday. You read the creed, you, you, you did the Lord's Prayer, and, but there was just something missing. And it was the passion that was behind the creed and all of it. It was just not, they, we just read the creed and it goes out and then, you know, we go out and live our day, our week, and, and as if the creed doesn't mean anything, you know. So we, we have a tendency today to, to acknowledge truth and we be, say that we believe it. But a lot of times that truth doesn't really activate our lives in obedience. And that's what Jesus is really calling for this morning. Is this. And so, but I said he still offers the best information possible for the most important issues of life. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Uh, I had a, you, know, you know what this thing is? Of course, none of the old people don't have any of these, do you? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a prescription. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, now, you, we all get them, you know, and, and what do you do with them? Huh? We're supposed to, you know. It doesn't mean we always do. Uh, you can react to this so differently, you know. You can say, oh, I don't know if I trust my doctor, so I don't know if I'm going to do this or not, you know. I don't even know if this is good, good for me. I'll get well anyway, so I'm not going to do this, you know. Or you can say, hmm, I believe this is pretty good, you know. And, and, and we follow the same pattern of people that are following Jesus, you see. Uh, we can be ignorant of what's really going to help me, or I can kind of acknowledge the fact that it's good, and I can believe it's good, but when does it affect me? When does it affect me? When I take it, right? When I'm obedient to it. This is what I want to talk about this morning, because the Lord has given us some incredible stuff here. All through the three years he's been talking, he says, listen, I got the best way to live in the whole world, in this world in which you are. It's the best prescription you'll ever find any place. And people said, yeah. And some said, yeah. You know? And some said, yeah. You know? See, they all responded differently. And this morning, we also respond so differently. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about this what we believe is really important. Do you know that? I'm sure you, you, you said, well, that's, I, I, we understand that, Enoch. Uh, but there's a common process today, or a problem, when I want to say, and I wrote it down here. It says, we spend so much time trying to get people to do the things good people are supposed to do. 
You ever do that? Just think about that. We spend so much time trying to get, get people to do the, the good things people are supposed to do without changing what they really believe and what they really value. And when I grew up, I grew up in a very strict home, and I was given all the rules, you know, what you can do and what you can't do. And I grew up with that. And, and I think in my generation, they were more concerned of my behavior than what I really thought and what I really believed. And I think my faith was grounded on my parents. It wasn't mine. And what he's trying to say is that what we believe has to be ours. We are, needs to be so convinced that this truth, what Jesus is teaching us, has got value for us. And that becomes a, a very important issue for us. So my desire this morning uh, is that we would do less managing of our actions and concentrate on more on changing our hearts and our minds this morning. Because I think that's where the, where, the, where, where the change really happens. So my desire is to give us a fresh hearing for Jesus, a clear understanding of what Jesus taught. And so I titled it, Is Jesus Relevant Today? And I'm going to cover three points this morning. And they're in your listening guide. You want to get them out? Now, I'm, I'm making a commercial here. <laughs> a commercial is, is note-taking. Uh, so this is not a part of the message, it's just part of the commercial. I want you to get your paper and pencils out and take your notes this morning. Because you, you might find something good here you want to share with somebody this week. And I think that's when he, when he tells us be able to help people, teach people. This is where, where, where it is this morning. So... I call it listening guide, and there are three points that I want to touch about this morning. I told Gary first I had six, and then I, time gone on, I said, we won't be here all day. Three is enough. Okay, first, we are compelled to seek the great priority. We will look at that, what, what God's priority is for us. Secondly, we're sent to obey the great purpose or the great mission or the great plan or the great strategy, whatever you want to look at it this morning. And thirdly, we're going to look at the privilege to experience the great passion. In each one of these, the first one is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The second is to go and make disciples in teaching them to obey. And the third is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And then we're going to, go to close with the, the Lord's Prayer, where he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth right here, where we are today in your life and my life. So let's, uh, let's start out. The first is the great priority. I want to give you a little illustration, first of all. When I left pastoring, I started Spring Hill Camps. We gathered a group of us, and we, I spent, first of all, a couple months up at Kalkaska just thinking about what we wanted to do. And we began to study how in the world were we going to change the, the life of a child. This, this, we're going to bring in children we're going to have to change their life. How do you change a life of a child? And I remember going down to Michigan State and spending quite a bit of time with uh, Ted Ward, who was one of the great teachers there, went from there to, to Trinity and taught there in the mission department. And we, we did a study on moral development, how children develop. And we came to one huge conclusion, that the way you change a child is you change his value system. So that became our mission, to change their, their value system of kids. Now what's happened over the years? The first year, we had 256 kids that we worked in. And over all of these years, 
This year, we're going to be touching at Spring Hill, we're going to be touching 52,000 kids. Now, why has it gone from, from the 256 to the 52,000? And I'll tell you why. Because God has changed the values of kids. And we have helped parents raise better kids. And in that process, the result speaks for itself. The, the people that we, we, we can't even take all the people, the kids that want to come, because if we are doing our job right, in which we are, you see, we're changing the life. And remember, we used to gather every, every, after every week, have we done our job? Have we changed the life of these kids? Have we, have we transformed their life in any way by changing their value system? And so we worked hard. So the priorities become important because that's what he starts out with. He says, you've got to change your value system. If you don't put first things first, things aren't going to work for you. And that's the way it is. And so he he gives us these words. He says, the pagans seek after all these things. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things are going to be taken or taken care of itself. They're going to be added to you. So here you have the priority that he's saying. He says, you've got to seek first two things. You've got, you got to seek the kingdom of God, whatever that means. And then you've got to seek his righteousness, whatever that means and how that. Now, we struggle with these things because uh, I think we live in a day which we call consumerism. You know, would you agree with me a little bit? Christians struggle with consumerism. Things are important for us, are they not? Now, you can agree with me or not agree with me this morning, but even if you don't agree, it's true anyway, because people seek, they still go after things, you know? You can just look at the, the whole market of, you know, the buying market today. And even within the church, we, 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 we go after this, these things, you know? And he's saying there, there's something more important than the things of life, you know? And, and, and the solution, which we're going to look at this morning, is God's love, seeking first the kingdom of God and putting that first in our life. And we need to study and know God and what it's going to produce is a better life. And we're going to look what kingdom living is, is all about this morning. So the kingdom is good news. Now let's, let me read for you some of the passages that are that, that are come out of uh, this slide. I think we're one behind or two behind on where we are. There we go, okay. Hear what, what Jesus has taught. Now, just listen to these careful. Mark 1, 15. Jesus says, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Okay? Then he says in, in, in Matthew 4, uh, he says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. In Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went throughout all the towns, the villages, teaching in the synagogue, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness, and the twelve were with him. And in Matthew 10, as he begins to send his disciples out, he says, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come. So he's proclaiming here that there's good news in the kingdom of God. And I think, I think, you know, being around the church for many, many years, uh, I haven't heard a lot of messages on the kingdom. I don't know if you have, but I haven't. And here Jesus, for three solid years, 
He taught the message of, of the good news of the kingdom. We think of the good news of the gospel as being the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. But it's more than that. Because that means nothing until you put Jesus and God as the priority of your life. Once you've got him first in your life, then all the rest of it becomes... But you've got to get him first, you see. And that becomes the message that we're trying. So the two things, what are we... He's saying, you've got to establish your authority. Two important things we are, are to seek. You've got to establish his authority. The kingdom of God has got to become an important issue in your life, in my life. We need to accept the rule of God's authority, which came with Jesus. We need to make God's authority our first and primary concern, and we need to believe and repent. Now, I, I put a little parenthesis in here, and I did some things. If you go to the book of Acts, and when Peter started to preach, what did he preach? He preached the kingdom of God and the good news. And, and, and they said, this is great news. We've never heard this before. What, what are we supposed to do? I love the question. Don't you love the question? Peter must have said, oh, thank you, God. There's Because now the door was open. He said, what are we going to do with this good news that you're giving to us? And what does he say? He said, believe it and repent. And, and what happened? Well, in, 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 in Acts 2, 3,000 people repented and became a part of the kingdom. 3,000. Now you, you go to Acts 4. 5,000 more came and repented and became a part of the message. And then you go to Acts 5 and, and Acts 6. It says multitudes of disciples repented and became a part of, of the kingdom of God. I think the, the, this important issue is so critical for us because until we establish the authority of God, you see, and repenting is rethinking in our mind. Who is the authority that we have? Who is first in our life? How do we direct our lives as we, as we live our life? See, that's priority. And that's why I put it the priority this morning. Until, until we get God on the throne of our lives where he belongs, where everything else, nothing else matters in life. And then he says, uh, what, what, what is this news? How is it ruled? What is and he says, God rules with righteousness. Now, I like to... To live with somebody whose rules are righteousness, wouldn't you? Just think about that for a minute. If they didn't have righteousness, I didn't want to live with them. Our country used to be established on righteousness, but it's not so much anymore. You know, we're all struggling and we're all complaining. And, and maybe not all of us, but some of us know what we're talking about doing, so that's all right. His righteousness must become active in our lives. Now, and righteousness provides great blessings. And this righteousness... It enhances all of our relationships. And his grace enables us to live above. He says, I'm offering you my authority, and, and, and the rules of my authority is going to be built on righteousness. Now, I'm going to give you a hard one this morning. This is a hard, this, this issue, this next frame here, I, I, I've dealt with for, for a long, long time. And the meaning is beyond my human understanding, but I'm going to share it with you anyway this morning. I says, he says, nothing is more important. Jesus gives us an unbelievable example of the value of making God's kingdom rule and his righteousness the top priority. The top priority. Now listen to these words. They're hard. Uh, I say, it's tough medicine. And, and it tastes terrible, but it's good for you. And here it is. 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. I don't know what you do with that. You know, I, I don't like preaching on that. But this three weeks, that months that I've been away is finally become, it makes sense to me now. And I want to share why it makes sense to me this morning. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be, be my disciple. And I say, why? Because every one of our relationships in life is based or come, becomes absolutely incredible when the righteousness of God rules. Now let me illustrate. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I want to be the greatest father I am. If I make my children a priority, that's good. You see? But there's something better. If I make righteousness, God's righteousness, my priority, my kids, everything's going to happen fine. You see? You understand that? I'll be the best father in the world. I'll be the best husband in the world because I'm making God's righteousness the rule that we're going to live by, you see. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be wise because I'm making his righteousness, you see. And it's, it's not that we hate father and mother. We love less because we make the righteousness of God the priority of our life. All these other relationships are going to take care of themselves. Isn't that good news? I think it's incredible news, but it's a little backwards this morning. You know, we, we don't quite look at that. We say, no, my family is my priority. Yeah, I, I, I agree it's a priority, but it's not the first priority. God's his kingdom rule, and we put ourselves under his rule, you see, and he rules with righteousness, and that righteousness pours out into my life, and I live out his righteousness, and my family claps their hands and say, we've got the best dad in the world. I've got the greatest husband in the world. I've got the greatest wife in the world because we live under God's righteous rule. It's, it's, it works that way, and that's the way it is. And I said we need a compelling sense of understanding to conformity to the great teaching that Jesus talks about the kingdom. Because the kingdom is a lifestyle. It's a rule. It's, it's where we put all things in the right perspective. Now I want to look next at the, at the great purpose. And it says... Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all, all I have commanded you. Now, I, I, I thought for a long time this was my mission, but I'm going <laughs> to gyrate a little bit of you this morning. I don't think this is my mission. It's, it's, it's God's plan. It's his strategy. To get the mission done. Now you, and I'll prove that in a few minutes. I want you to see this because this radically changes how we think. Because I, I, I see this and he, he goes, oh, let, me, let me explain some of these things. Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples. That's great. And that's part of the strategy, you see. If he's going to, if he's going to redo this, this world, he's got to do it through people. And so he says, you've got to pull the people. That's the strategy. It's his plan. It's his program. I don't care... That's what it is. So I've got to make disciples. Now, how do you do it? He says, you've got to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You know, for I don't know how many years, that didn't, 
it didn't register to me why he said Father, Son, and Spirit. Begin, then I begin to realize that it's there for a reason. It is the identity of the triune God, the Trinity. We call our church the Trinity of God is absolutely critical for our understanding what the mission is all about and why, what we're supposed to do. And because it's, it's the Father who works, you see. He pours out his love to us in sending his Son. His Son comes to this world and he dies on the cross for our, our redemption, you see. And the Spirit takes up a boat in our lives and, and he transforms us into the righteous person that, that he wants us to be. It's, a, it's an incredible thing, he said. You've got to identify in baptism. You identify with all three. You, you identify with, with, the, with the sending of the, of the Father, you see, in, in his incredible love. Until you understand it, you can't understand the Son, you see. But once you understand the love of the Father, and I, I thought, now I know what God was doing before he ever created anything. I think God the Son and God the Father and God the Spirit, they were having an incredible Incredible time up there. I think it was just men, and all of a sudden one day said, I think we ought to create some people so that we can also have them to join us. Wouldn't that be good? And they decided to do that, and so they did. But then something went wrong. And that's the problem that we face. But anyway, what I see here in this baptism, and we went to, uh, you know, I, I went to Orlando and I, I, I got a hold of the, I went online and I checked all the churches and I said, okay. What church do I want to, we want to go to? We got, we got our choice. So finally went red, 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 and finally said, we're going to go to this one. So we went to that church. We went on a Saturday night, and the first thing that came up in this church of 18,000 people is a baptismal service. And they're baptizing these people, and on every shirt that they have, they have, I'm not ashamed. And they are identifying themselves with the Father, and with the Son, and with the Spirit. So we went back the next time. And lo and behold, there's another baptismal service. More people. We went back the third time. And every single service began with a baptismal service. And they got up and these people shared how they identified with the Father and with the Son and with the Spirit and how they became a part under God's great calling, Christ's redemption and the Spirit's transformation. And that was going on. And they were making testimony to that great, incredible fact. What I'm saying today is that I think non-discipleship Christianity has become so common within our, within our church that it's an accepted fundamental negative reality amongst Christians. We haven't talked about that. We, 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 we center so much on, on becoming saved, you know, and, and allowing his righteousness to become a part of our life and all that. And, and we, we think, you know, that that's done. That's where it is. And we sit here this morning a lot of times, and we don't know what it means to be disciples who are out making other disciples, who are baptizing people, who are teaching them how to obey everything that Jesus has taught us. We're, we're just in the realm of believers, you see. We're Christians. But God is calling us to more than that. He's calling us to discipleship. And I think there's a difference this morning between being a Christian and being a disciple. And I've kind of already made that distinction this morning. This triune God that I've just made reference to, he's the one he, that is sending us. He's sending us. Now, you know what a mission is? We send people, don't we? And who's the boss when you're sent? The sender. 
because he's got, a, he's got a thing that he wants to do. So God is sending you and I to be disciples in a mission. Every one of us here this morning, not just some of us, not just Gary or myself or, or a few others. You know, or, or, no, it's beyond that. He's, he's calling all of us this morning to be disciples, obedient disciples of him. That's what he wants to see, wants us to do. And so this triune God is sending us. And what is he sending us out to do? And I've got... Uh, no, it's must be, try the next slide. It says disciples are sending out by God up in the top. There's five things on it. There we go. Okay, here we go. Five things. He's sending us out. What, what does he want you? What does what does he want you and I to do? I mean, what's what God? He's sending us on a mission. What is the mission? Here it is. Listen carefully. He's sending us to help people make God the God of choice among the people of the world. Now, when did you catch this? He wants us to go into this world. So I, I go to Eric. I've got Eric, my neighbor. What's my task? My task is to help him understand who God is so that God becomes his first choice, the priority of his life, you see. That's, to love rightly. Well, I'll come back to that. He's enrolled, we're, we're, here, we're here to enroll others into the, the community of worshipers. And we're going to talk about that. We're here to make more and greater disciples who are students and apprentices of Jesus. We're here to build a community of worshipers who obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. We're here to help people love rightly. To love rightly. Who really love and honor and worship the, tri- the triune God. Now, disciples... Uh, are motivated to obey. Now, obedience is a hard word for us. It really is a hard word. And I'll, and I'll tell you why, but look, look at, it, at the passages here for a moment. In John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, what will happen? Can you read it? Is it big enough? What does it say? You will keep my commandments. Now, you've got to gather this. If I love him, I will keep his commandment. Obedience is not an option. It's a response. It's not a, it's not a, a, a law. It's how I'm going to respond to him. I will be obedient because he's first in my life. He's the priority of my life. I love him more than anything else. So God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit become absolutely critical first. That's why he says the priority is, is getting that straight first. And then he says in, in, in the 21st verse, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and it is he who shall, I lay down my life, excuse me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. And I say, disciple making is helping students of Jesus continue in the word until they love Jesus and obey him with all their heart, with all their soul. Even where it doesn't seem right. Even where it seems beyond. But the Lord, his love will sustain us. It will fortify us. It will bring us through the disciplines that are required to do this. And that's the great thing, that he's never asked us to do anything. That he hasn't first given us the, 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 the grace to do it, which is so important for our lives. And, and then... We all struggle. We struggle with this obedience. I said, uh, making disciples, teaching them to be. I said, we struggle this because with faith, 
it breeds a non-obedience. We have not tied this to faith. We, we have faith in Jesus. We believe. But obedience, we don't know what to do with it. You know, and, and, and I've heard so many people talk to me over the years. It's so hard. You know, I try so hard. And I said, yeah, we, we try so hard because we make it a law instead of a, a response. We don't develop the motivation that creates the obedience. And we get up in the morning and say, today I'm going to obey God. You see, it doesn't work that way because we can't. It's impossible. You can't do it and I can't do it. But God, when he, he pours his love into my heart, I say, oh God, whatever you ask, I will do. It doesn't matter. It changes everything about my life. And so, that, I said, we don't, and I said, we struggle with this. I said, we don't do what he says because obedience has been separated from faith. I need to say that again because it is so true. We just don't do obedience because we see it separately from faith. It's not required for my salvation, so I don't have to do it. Secondly, we don't seriously attempt it because we don't see it as necessary a part of salvation. And, and, and we say, grace trumps obedience. If I got grace, I don't need to have to be obedient, see? Because I got everything. God says, yeah, but that doesn't work that way. If you don't do what I say, you haven't got anything. Did you get that? We don't have anything until that, that truth that we believe becomes activated so in our lives that we do what he's asked us to do. Obedience is that response that comes out. And I said, many of us are, are, are and I said, how many of us are making disciples? No, excuse me, I'm jumping. We overall don't know how to do it because obedience is, is delegated to law in our feeble efforts and that makes it totally impossible. And we get discouraged. Now, non-obedience, I says, is really present today. And I says, this non-obedience impacts how the church responds to the great commandment that Jesus taught us to obey about this whole thing about being a disciple. The church today is, is becoming awakened with the need of discipleship. It's, 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 I see it out there. I have great hopes. I'm so excited. I've read books and books and books. I've talked to pastors. I've, 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 I've been online to churches. I'm trying every, what's going on in our world. The whole thing of discipleship is becoming alive. Even we talk about it here. That we need to become disciples of Jesus. More than just believers. We've got we to be, be obedient people which, which enter into the whole mission of God. You see, And that becomes really important for us. Now, I have three questions here, I said, because this is, impacts the way we look at missions. I said, how many of us this morning can actually say, I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness above everything else in my life? I have a hard time with that. I don't know if you do. But when I live my life out there, and all these things get in my way, and I have to come down to the, to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm just really sorry. And you're going to have to forgive me. And that repentance becomes a part of my life. And I begin to realize that I'm not just here to believe and sit in these pews. But God has called me on a mission. He's called you on a mission to be a disciple of his. And that is one who is out baptizing and teaching obedience. I asked the second question, how many of us love God with all our heart? With all our soul. 
with all our mind, with, and with all our strength. How many of us really do that? How many of us are making disciples? I said, today many of us are more interested in correct doctrine than obedient faith. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that correct doctrine is, is wrong, but you know, when we take this book and all we do is try to find out so that we got it all straight, and, and, and we believe it, but if it doesn't do anything to us, the knowledge is, is, isn't any good. The great passion, I'll close with that this morning. The great, and I call it our privilege. And we call it the great commandment, but here it is. He says we're privileged. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. To me, this is my mission. The other is my strategy. But this is my mission. And I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you why it's my mission. The great commandment is the great passion. I said Jesus gives us the great commandment because it is the greatest solution to all our greatest problems. And the solutions is our passion. God's great plan for from the very beginning is to restore fallen creation and listen carefully, to draw people who love wrongly back into a loving relationship with him. That's what he wants. More than anything else. And, 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 and you can go, take the next one, the, true, the problem, the true problem is this, you've got to understand Adam and Eve. You've got to understand that story very carefully. And uh, it deals with the rejection. In the next slide, there it is. I said, what really happened? And, I, and, I, and I'll read for you. So, uh, something happened deeper than rule-breaking and misbehavior. They perverted love and rejected the God who made them to love and to be loved by him. What their problem was, they loved wrongly. They did not love the Lord their God with all their hearts. They did not put him first in their life. The the whole God's authority was, was, was lost because they, they sought to love other things rather than God himself. So the priority was missed, you see. And the commandment means nothing that he tells us to do until we get the, this great passion thing straightened out. That becomes my priority in life. And I said the Spirit's work is to open our eyes and to give us the Father's delight for the Son. And the Son's enjoyment of the Father the Son makes the Father known. The Spirit makes the Son known. And He does this through, through the breathing out of the Scriptures. That's what's the so the more I understand who God is, you see, it takes time. It takes a plan. It takes a habit to dig in this book until... And, and, and I've always used to read this book from this perspective. What does this book tell me? And I begin to think, now there's something more important. What does this book tell me about the incredibleness of who God is? And how much, much wonderful the Son loves me? Because that's the issue. Once I get that straightened, once I get that straightened, everything begins to fall. It's like dominoes. Everything begins to fall into place. You see? But you've got to do this. You've got to dig into this word. And so the, he, he teaches us how much the Father 
loves the sun. How much is that? You, you got any idea? I mean, you, you can't hardly fathom it. And how much the son loved the father. And out of that, he says, we love our people so much that the father sends the son to die. His only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only God. And why did he do this? Because he loved us. And why did the son ever go to the cross? He didn't have to do that. He did it because he loved us so much. You see, and once that gets a hold of our lives, you know what happens? We begin to love him. We love God. Why? Why? Because he first loved us. You get it? You've got to get that. I mean, that's the whole thing. My, my mission is life is to help my people and my neighbors and my, come to the place where they can understand and appreciate the love that the Father has and the Son has and the Spirit has for them, you see, and what He's done for them. Because that brings out the whole story of the Gospel. And that becomes my job. So when we search the Scriptures, the Spirit helps us understand how much the Father and the Son loves us. It's the Father sending His Son to die. It's the atonement for our sins. It is their love for us that motivates us to love. And you've got to know who God is out of that. And then the results are incredible, and I was going to go through these quite fast this morning. What does he mean when he says, love God with all your heart? Got any idea? You need to study that for a while. Because what is the heart? The heart is where all our desires come. Heart is where my desires come. What do I desire most? Oh, now I go back to the priority. You see? You see, you've got to work it out so that the priority is your greatest love. God's kingdom and God's righteousness and who he is, the authority, has got to become the first thing in our life. You see? That, that affects the heart. And the Spirit says back there in the Old Testament, he says, he says I'm going to give you a new heart. Your heart, your God, is not very good because what it does, it's full of sin and evil and it does the wrong thing. But I'm going to give you a new heart. So the Spirit's work is to give us a new heart. And, and that's what he starts out with. And then he says, your soul. And I said, well, the soul makes God the Lord of my life. It's my life that my soul is. And as Jesus changes the habits and controls of my behavior, you see, my mind, that makes God the center of my thoughts and my decisions in life. That's critical. See, and the last is my strength. It's my doing. It's, it's that in, in all that I do and say every day of my life brings glory to my Father, my Heavenly Father, and to the Son and to the Spirit of God. See, so His love begins... Loving God with all my heart, oh man, all my desires, I love him with all my soul, with all my life, my habits, how I live, with all my mind. And you've got a whole matter of Ephesians 4 here, which comes out, putting off the old and putting on the new. And how does that happen? By the transforming of the mind. It's a beautiful thing that God's laid out for us. It's absolutely incredible. And then love motivates disciples to worship God. And, and I, this was one of my six points, but I'm going to take one just one thought on it here this morning. Um, yeah, it's not up there yet. It's love motivates disciples to worship God. There it is. Okay. I say, you've got to understand what worship is. Worship is my response. It's my response. 
to everything that I've talked about right now, you see. For, it's my response to all that. It's a response to my putting him as priorities. It's to my obedience. It's my response to, to my loving him. It, it, it's, it's, it's my pouring myself out to God. Now, who, who is the audience in our worship services and who's the performers? You ever thought about that? This morning, you're the performers. God's the audience. Don't lose that. We think that you're the audience, but you're not the audience. You're the performers this morning. And when we come to this house to worship God, it's not some program we do or some, something that we plan. It's, it's coming into the holy presence of a sovereign God because we love him with all that we are and all that we have. And we come to, to exalt his holy name. And these leaders, they're here to bring us into his holy presence. And as we come into his presence, I don't know what's going to happen when we come into his holy presence. What you can do when you get to glory? You're going to shout once in a while? <laughs> you could try it now if you want to. You know, it's all right. You can do a few other things too. Raising your hands not bad. You know, and, and shouting hallelujah. It's, it's okay. They did it. We don't know. You know, I just, I see we, we get a little bit too much, but it's all right. That's me. And I, I put four things that I worship as our unconditional, all-consuming love response that celebrates the glory of God in heart, soul, mind, and Worship is not a performance, an event, or even a program activity. And I, and I, I always shake a little bit when I, now we're going to go back to worship. Now he's not really going back to worship. We're here to worship God in everything, even if it's announcements. You know, it's part of our, part of our expression to, to who he is. I said worship is our loving response to the vision of the glory of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You see, if we just spent some time understanding that this week, we, we'd come differently to this house. And I said together we experience the vision as we bring people into the presence of a holy God. We lift him higher. And then I just want to close with this this morning. Love motivates our prayer life. And it's the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to give you the Lord's Prayer this morning. It's there. Listen carefully. Because it, it, it summarizes everything that I've talked about this morning. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth, in your life, my life, in our neighborhoods, where it's done in heaven. That's the priority, you see. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. One line about our daily bread. That's the things, but he said, he, he will do that. If you seek first the kingdom, he's going to take care of the rest for you, but you've got to put priorities for it. And then this, this line always bothers me again. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I don't like that. I, 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 I carry too much. And therefore, he, if I pray that, then he, he's not going to forgive me at all. But he's merciful and loving. He's teaching us something. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For the kingdom 
and the power and the glory is yours forever and forever. That's our prayer, you see. And what does it say? It says, we pray that the will of God be present on earth as it's lived out in heaven. We pray that the rule of God will be experienced in each of our lives today in obedience. We pray that the fallen creation will be drawn to love rightly the Lord of glory. That the Lord will be the Lord will be our God of choice. I like that little statement. My goal, my prayer is my life, my neighbors, my friends, that our sovereign God will be their God of choice. I leave you with those thoughts this morning. Let's pray. Father, you spent three years teaching your disciples. And Lord, we just touched the surface this morning, trying to summarize those three years, which comes to this great event that's coming on Friday and Sunday. Father, prepare us. And somehow, Lord, pray that we will seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. We will be interested in people and reach out to people and know that that will all happen. It'll all happen together when we come to the place that we can love you. And Father, we love you this morning, but we ask, oh God, increase our love so that we can love with all our hearts. We want to do that. We want to be your obedient people, Lord. We want to be your disciples who are out doing the work. We don't want to just sit here every day. We want to do the task that you have sent us to do. Forgive us, Lord, where we failed you. Make us strong. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.